Good morning. We're still multiplying. We're still out here. I'm in it to win it. Let's do it. All right. You guys ready? We are in. This is, this is it. This is the last Sunday of Multiply Sermon Series. So uh, let's go out with a bang, shall we? So um, if you don't know this, we're in Acts 9. Acts 9.31, that's our theme verse, that's our theme passage, that's where we're going to park it today one last time. But you know what I've noticed? People don't like labels. People do not like being confined or restricted to a label. Everybody wants to break the mold. Everybody wants to be different. Everyone wants to feel unique and validated in their individualism from politics to sports to church denominations, we are so fractured and splintered everywhere you turn. To the point where I think as an American culture, this is just my opinion, I think diversity is celebrated to a fault. Because where's the unity? Where's the commonality? You guys already know my talk on that. I talk about it all the time. One of the reasons I think, and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but one of the reasons I think people are so cautious about being labeled is because there's a certain identity that comes with a label. Whether it's true or not, you get labeled and then people assume things about you. For example, if I say, oh yeah, Julia Dirk, she's such an environmentalist. Okay, we're all going to naturally assume she drives a hybrid. Toyota Priuses suck. We're all going to assume that she's out there tree-hugging in some national forest. We all assume that she's making elderberry syrup at home, you know. <laughs> I was literally thinking the other day, we should just call ourselves Elder First, First Baptist Church of Elderberry Syrup. I think, I think every single one of us are on that stuff. Um, so... But whether it's true or not, there's, there's assumptions that come with labels, and that's why people, we as a people don't like labels. We don't want to be confined or restricted, because truth be told, if we ask Julia Dirks if she's an environmentalist, she's like, yeah, I just care about protecting the planet, and I just go out there and volunteer picking up plastic straws everywhere, then that could be totally different than, you know a political activist about environmentalism. You know what I mean? So that, my, my point is, well, that went downhill fast. My point was there's assumptions that are made no matter what label you put on people. I mean, it could be anything. Yeah, I'm not going to give any more examples because it could, go, it could go bad. But in the same way, saying, catch this, I'm a Christian means a lot of things today. It means so many different things to different people. It could mean that your grandparents are a member of the Lutheran church down the road. It could mean that you were, you subscribe to a certain set of morals or values. It could just mean that you've been born in America, therefore you identify as a Christian. It could mean that you were brought up a certain way. It's an identity thing, and it should matter to us here in 2019. It should matter to the local church, the definition of that word. It's something that we should stand up for. It's something that we should fight for, is how we're going to 
define our terms. What does it really mean when you say, I'm a Christian? Well, the cool thing about today is we have a chance to go back to the beginning and set the record straight. Our passage today is the very first time that that label is ever used. It's the very first time believers are ever identified as Christians. So let's read our passage in Acts chapter 11. I know I said Acts 9, but we'll get there in a minute. So if you want to stand with me, let's read together. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 11, or you can read along the screen. In Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26 is what we're going to read this morning. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except who? But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also. Hellenists are Gentiles. Hellenists are Greek-speaking non-Jews, which makes them Gentiles. <laughs> Thank you, Jim, for that. Um, Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. We learned about Barnabas last week, did we not? When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. That totally fits his personality. Son of encouragement, here building up a brand new church. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called what? Christians. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for this passage in the Bible. I pray that you help us to extract truth from it, apply it to our lives. We thank you for being a faithful God and a good, good God. Thank you for that song as a reminder to us who maybe feel like we don't hear from you lately, or you've let us down. You are faithful. You are good all the time. Help us to rest in that. Help us to trust you, even when we don't feel it or see it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our message today came out of the last phrase of Acts 9.31, which is our theme verse for the year. So we've got Acts 9.31 up here now. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. We talked about peace with Stephen. And was being built up. We talked about being built up with Barnabas last week. And walking in the fear of the Lord, we talked about Paul on the road to Damascus. And the last one today, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The comfort of the Holy Spirit. So we find a very uncomfortable situation going on in Antioch due to the church multiplying. There's persecution that has arisen. The disciples are splintered and scattered everywhere across Western Europe. And there's a lot of uncomfortable situations. Wow, sorry about that, guys. A lot of uncomfortable situations. And now we get to Acts chapter 11, and things have ramped up a little bit. 
And we heard a little bit as, as um, Will summarized what Peter had gone through. See, right before this story that we read in Acts chapter 11, Peter had just had that vision, right? And Will summarized it for us last week. He got all kinds of unclean animals and things in this sheet, and, and the vision was that Peter was supposed to partake and eat of all these things that Jews had no business partaking in. And Peter denies it. And then the Lord says, don't call unclean what I have called clean. And right after that, Cornelius comes. And Peter shares the gospel with a Gentile, Cornelius. And he gets saved. His household gets saved. And so the gospel is passed on to the Gentiles. And now we see in our passage in Acts chapter 11 that there are people who have scattered because of Stephen's persecution and Stephen's death. And we read at the beginning of the passage that they were only sharing the gospel with Jews until some very brave men, some culture shapers, went to Antioch and said, you know what? If the gospel is good enough for Jews, it's good enough for Gentiles. And they started witnessing and evangelizing the Gentiles in Antioch. And now there's reports, there's word gets out to the, the, the base, the church in Jerusalem, home base, he said, oh, man, because you have to see persecution was starting. So they were trying to keep things under wraps. They were trying to meet undercover. They were trying to suppress any type of uh, situation rising up that would cause more persecution. So when they got word that the gospel was spreading beyond their control and it had reached the Gentiles, they're like, we got to send somebody to Antioch to check this out. So there goes Barnabas. But one of the biggest things, before I get too far ahead of myself, one of the biggest fears of multiplying is losing your identity, losing your culture, losing the label you've worked so hard to create. So we want to preach a truth to you that multiplication is not the enemy of identification. Multiply is not the enemy of identity. We're going to talk about that in a message entitled, Going Public, or if I stick with my H's, we're going to talk about hybrids and hairspray. That's today. Hybrids and hairspray. Is that one better than going public? Because we did, you know, Hot Pockets, the first thing, and then we did our Holy Ghost hold up that second time, so I was like, well, if I, I did make them a promise that I would have to come up with something for the last sermon. So we're going to talk about hybrids and hot pockets, or hybrids and hairspray today. <laughs> hot pockets might show up. I don't know. We'll see. But um, the point I want to convey today is very simple, and it's this. The only way to find your true identity is in losing it. The only way to find your true identity is losing it. And this is, this is the uncomfortable growth that the early church had to face in Acts chapter 11. They were literally losing their identity. They lost it. It got recreated. And because they were willing to lose their identity, the church multiplied. So let's, let's set the scene a little bit. Let's, let's apply it to Decided Church really quick, and then we'll look at how it applies to the early church as well. When we talk about multiplying, we talk about two services. That's, that's the most vivid application 
of our theme, multiply. Well, what does that mean? What does that totally mean? Well, the first and foremost things that, me- that it means is, well, two services. We're going to do this twice. And there's an understandable fear that church may not feel the same in three weeks. You may not get to see everybody that you saw on past Sundays. I've heard a lot of talk recently about people coming up to me saying, you know, I really love our church size. I like staying small. I like the small. I like the small. I like the small. And I think all of this talk is rooted in what we know now as decided church's identity. We've created something here. We've created a culture. We've created a family atmosphere. We've created a lot of close-knit relationships. And if I'm honest, if we're honest with ourselves, one of the biggest fears we have about multiplication is losing our identification. What is it going to be like? Who am I going to sit with anymore? What if there's new people everywhere? (laughs) So we want to spend our last sermon on Multiply addressing those concerns head on. And it's not new. That's the thing. It might be new to us here in Irmo, South Carolina, a decided church, but it's not new because guess what? This same church in Antioch was suffering from the same things. It's not the same. They weren't moving from one service to two services, but they were, it was a culture shift. It was going from Jews being Christians to, wow, I can welcome the Gentiles into the church too, that's, we're going to lose our identity. This, this is not, these aren't Christ followers anymore. Who are these people that we're allowing to come into the church? So they had, they didn't have fear about the church not feeling the same, but they had fear from persecution. They were meeting undercover. The gospel was spreading like wildfire and they could do nothing to contain it, although they were trying because of persecution. And then he, Peter has a vision. Cornelius gets saved, a Gentile. And then Peter has to report to the church and give a defense for why he even shared the gospel to Gentiles in the first place. And the church apostles bring him forward and make him explain why in the world did you share the gospel with a Gentile? And and the Jewish apostles realize that this is a huge culture shift. They realize that if the Gentiles are included in the promise of the church, and if the Gentiles are included in the age of grace... They're going to lose their identity. It's no longer the same. It's no longer the way things have been for thousands of years. It's no longer God and Israel. Now it's God and his followers, whoever you may be. So we summarized a little bit, verses 19 and 20. We talked about believers from Jerusalem were very careful to only spread the gospel to Jews. Then certain brave men who came to Antioch broke from that mold, started evangelizing. The Bible word is Hellenists, which means the Greek-speaking Gentiles. But verse 21 says something specific, and I think this is why we can tie in that phrase, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, into this story about losing your identity. Verse 21 begins, the hand of the Lord was with them. Who's them? Those men who broke the mold and started evangelizing Gentiles. Sorry, guys. I really don't know how to control that. I'm sorry. Um, um, But the hand of the Lord was with them. That means it was valid. They had the authority of Jesus going with them. They had the authority of God over them. And just as Peter accepted Cornelius into the house of the Gentiles, Barnabas 
would come behind these men at Antioch and validate that, yes, this is indeed the same spirit. This is the same gospel. There's nothing fishy going on here because the church of Jerusalem sent him to check it out. What's going on, Barnabas? How come we hear reports that in Antioch, the church is spreading and there's Gentiles getting saved everywhere and there's a church starting and we have no idea what they're talking about. And so they send Barnabas and Barnabas says, wow, this is a work of the Lord. We got to get behind this. This is truly the hand of the Lord upon them. And then we see that Barnabas encourages them and says, keep going, remain steadfast. Don't let anybody deter you. The gospel of Jesus Christ was literally changing culture barriers and racial division right before their eyes. And then the passage says that a multitude, many, many people came to the Lord as a result of this. The church multiplied in Antioch. It was uncontainable. There was throngs of people who were added to the body, who were who were becoming believers and Christ followers, and the church was literally multiplying, exploding. And we're after the same thing. They, were, they had a different set of circumstances than we do here at Decided Church. But the result was the same. More people heard the gospel, more people were saved, more lives were changed. And that's really the bottom line. That's it. It's not complicated. We're moving to two services, yes. There's a lot of fear behind it, yes. There's some concerns, yes. It may not feel the same, yeah. Our identity might change, yes. But why? The why is because we can reach more people. The gospel can go further. We can see more lives changed. And I'll do whatever it takes to get behind that. Because at the end of the day, it's not about decided church. It's not about our identity. It's not about the culture we've created here. It's about the culture of something much bigger than what we have going on here. Barnabas finds Saul. He goes to Tarsus, tries to find Saul. He wants to bring Saul to Antioch. I wonder why. Did you ever think about that? Why, did Bar- why was Barnabas' first move after seeing the movement of God in Antioch? Why did he run to find Paul? Well, there could be a multitude of reasons, but I believe it's because Paul had experienced the same kind of exclusion. Paul was a killer of Christians before he met Jesus. And when he was saved, he spent three years in Damascus before he was even allowed to come to Jerusalem around the apostles. And even when he did come, Even when he came, Barnabas had to come with him to say, listen, guys, this guy's legit. God has changed his life. Get behind him. And the apostles were very reluctant to accept Paul into the body of Christ. And so you can imagine how these Antioch believers, these Gentile believers felt because the home church, the church in Jerusalem was saying, I don't know about this movement. Is this really legit? Is this really ordained of God? Barnabas says, yes and amen. These guys are on track. This is the movement of the Holy Ghost. This is the comfort of the Holy Spirit here. And he brings Saul because Saul knows a thing or two about facing rejection. Saul could, call, Saul could relate to them when it comes to feeling 
well, you know, the big guys don't see us. They don't look at us as part of the church. He had been viewed as an outsider. He had some perspective to share with them. And then our theme verse right here, not our theme verse for the year, but our theme verse for today, Acts 11.26, and the disciples were first called Christians. Now, take a minute and think about that. God used Greek-speaking Gentiles to go public with the identity of a brand new church age, a brand new shift. Yes, God had been dealing with Israel. God had been walking with Israel. This Christianity, if you want to use that term very loosely, was based upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the forefathers of the Jewish nation. And it was all about Jewish culture, Jewish everything. And now... God steps into humanity in a new way. He introduces the church. And the way he introduces the church is with people who are not even Jews. These were people who shouldn't have even been invited to hear the gospel according to the cultural standards. But he uses, according to the Jews, these were, these, the Gentiles were the lesser than breed. This was the lesser than race of people. And God uses these people to say, I'm going public with the church. Here we are. Let's do it. Big announcement. Breaking news. Acts 11.26. We're going to call ourselves Christians. And then the church emerges. The church goes public with a bunch of nobodies. And that's the beautiful thing. That's the gospel at work, that it breaks down these barriers, it breaks down these racial divisions and cultural norms, and the gospel multiplies the church. These people were the opposite of what man would have picked and thought. The identity of Christians worldwide for ages past and ages to come is based on a lesser than breed, according to the Jews. For hundreds of years, those who believed in the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were referred to as Jews. They were proud of that. It was their identity. For so long, it had become even a thing of prejudice, we see. Now, for the very first time, because of the spread of the gospel, the Gentiles are receiving the same Holy Spirit as the Jews, and God changes their name. God changes their name. So here's the point. This is the point of it all that I took for our church from this passage. Our identity multiplies because our message unifies. That's what I want you to write down today. Our identity multiplies because our message unifies. And here's what I mean by that. Our message unifies. The gospel is the only message that can do this. We've talked about this before. There's comfort in unity. There's comfort in sharing the same spirit with someone who doesn't share race, language, color, or, well, service time. There's unity because our message is the same. Anybody ever met a complete stranger and you instantly connected with them because you felt the spirit on them in a way? And you're like, wow, I have the same spirit as Michael Douglas. I recognize the Holy Spirit on him the same way I have it. And although I don't even know him, we're family, we're brothers. I can feel that. 
I've, I've experienced that before. I hope that you have. I hope that you've run into total strangers somewhere and felt that Holy Spirit connection. That's what Acts 9.31 is saying when it says the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Because there's no comfort in anything else. You can't find any similarities in race, color. You can't find any similarities in social class, cultural norms. That's why somebody can take the God. That's, that's why missions is so cool. Because somebody like you and I can go to a place we've never been before and share a message that transcends every cultural wall, every barrier, every race, every religion, every language. Jesus' love is bigger than all of that. That's so cool. When we have that same message, that very same gospel that Peter shared with Cornelius, that Barnabas shares with a bunch of Gentiles at Antioch is the same message that we have today. That's, un- that's unification. We have something so similar. We have something the same as these believers right here in the early church. That's, I can get behind that. That makes me excited. It's the same gospel. And the gospel is the only message that can do that. Instead of celebrating differences, they celebrated what they had in common. And in the, pa- in the verse right before we, the passage that we read today, Peter says, when Peter's called before the apostles in Jerusalem, and he's supposed to give some kind of answer for why he shared the gospel with Cornelius, he says this about Gentiles in general. He says, who am I to stand in God's way? God is moving. God is reaching the Gentiles the same way he reached us. And if we don't get behind this, if we... If we are so close-fisted about our identity as the Jewish church, as Jewish Christians, we're literally standing in God's way. We're stopping a move of multiplication. Our message unifies. No matter what color, creed, culture, or community The love of Jesus translates the same. And I beg of you to point me to something or someone else who can say that same thing. Because I can't find it. No political party can do that. We sure know that in 2019. It's as divisive as it can get. A political party, no, no political message can unify us. No sports team can unify us. (laughs) Right, Todd? No sports team can unify everybody under the same umbrella. No civilization has been able to unify all of humanity. The Romans tried. They got pretty close, right? But they didn't. No religion can bring this kind of unity. No civil rights movement. No equal rights movement. You j- just pick one. There's, there are a dime a dozen just go out there and click something. Click some clickbait article and you'll find some equal rights movement or civil rights movement. Just find one. No movement of any kind can bring the unity that we're talking about today in the gospel. We literally have the only singular message that can conquer all barriers, all social class divisions, all fractions, all splinters of all of humanity. There's only one message There's only one cross that can bring everybody together where we are all truly equal. 
We're not black, we're not white, we're not rich, we're not poor, we're not fat or ugly or pretty, we're sons and daughters of Jesus. That is crazy. There's nothing else in the world like the gospel. And a culture that celebrates differences and divisions, whether racial, social, sexual, the gospel calls us to celebrate what we have in common, a cross, a savior, and an empty tomb. Amen to that. Our message unifies, but the other part of this thing, our identity multiplies when our message unifies. Well, we talk about our our unified message, but let's talk about our identity multiplying here. Going public costs you, I want you to hear me now on this point, going public costs you your individualism. And here's what I mean. You got to lose it to get it. You got to lose it to get it. If those believers in Antioch would have stifled out that move, if they would have snuffed out the gospel going to those Gentiles, I don't think we'd be here today. I don't think that we would have a movement called the church. I don't think we would have a group of people who call themselves Christians. Going public costs you your individualism. Those Jewish believers in Jerusalem had to come to a point where they said, we're okay with losing our identity. We're okay if God takes this message and shares it with the world. We're okay with sharing our Jesus. We live in a finder's keepers mentality. Finder's keepers, right? Loser's weepers. Finders keepers might be true with your laundry money, but it is not true when it comes to your identity in your life. The harder you try to find your identity in this world, the harder you strive to keep your life in order, to keep your identity, to to button it all up and to have it all together, the worse it's going to get. You're not going to be able to do it. But when you and I come to Jesus and we say, you know what, I'm willing to sacrifice my identity for yours. I'm willing to take up my cross, die to self. Let's look at it, Matthew 16. It's up here for us. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. God was trying to give us a hint to the success and the multiplication of the church in Matthew 16. He told us, if you want to find your life, if you really truly want to find identity, give it away. Lose it in me. I will provide you something much greater. Because let me tell you something. When you look, when you point inward, when you look within yourself to find your identity, it becomes your insecurity. But when you give your insecurity to God, he can turn it into your identity. Did you catch that? When you point inward, when you look within yourself, when you look at all the cultural stuff going on in the social classes and the equal rights and this movement and that movement, and you, and you say, where do I fit? What label am I going to jump in with? What party can I affiliate with? Where's my movement? Where's my thing? Where's my label? And you look inside yourself and you're celebrating your individualism. It will become your insecurity. Always has, always will. 
But if, you sac- if you're willing to sacrifice that in exchange, in exchange for the identity that God wants to give you, for the identity that God wants to create for his church, dude, your insecurities will become your identity. You'll be strongest where you thought you were weakest. Your shame and your faults and your failures will become the very thing that makes up your testimony that leads other people to Christ. So I'd much rather take my little piddly old insecurities and exchange them, turn them in, turn them into God and say, I'm going public. I'm going public today for the church. I'm going public today for the label that God wants to put on me. I'm going public today for the identity that he wants to create in me. Because this world will give you a lot of options. There's no shortage of labels out there for you to fall into. There's no shortage of movements or brands. What do you want? If you want to, save your own life, save your own label. If you want to save your, save your own brand, you're going to end up losing it anyway. But if you're willing to strip that down and look at your heart, look at your pride, look at your ego and say, yep, I'm, it's not really worth that much. I'll turn it in. I'll turn it in for exchange for a sanctified identity, something much bigger than myself. And when we, instead of pointing inward and looking inside of ourselves for identity, when we start pointing outward and pointing upward, we get an identity that's so much bigger than we could have conjured up for ourselves. And that's the word Christian. The early church multiplied when they died. The early church multiplied when they died to their identity. No longer Jews, no longer Gentiles. Nope, those aren't the labels we fall under. God's given us a brand new name, Christian. So no matter what social class, no matter what country I'm from, no no matter what language I speak, I don't, identify, I don't label myself as Jew. I don't label myself as Gentile. I label myself as Christian. And the word, when it says in Acts eleven twenty six that they were called, that verb called in the Greek literally means to do business as. Isn't that weird? Isn't that funny? So it's like maybe their actions spoke for themselves, huh? Maybe the way they interacted, maybe the way they did business was in such a way That other people, maybe it was the outsiders that called them Christians first. We don't know. The passage doesn't tell us. There's a lot of great thinkers and theologians and commentators who think that this early church called themselves Christians. And then there's other great people who say it was the outsiders. It was the non-believers that looked at them and said, those are Christians. Those are little Christs. But whichever way it was, I wonder if somebody, I wonder if a total stranger followed you around for a week. What name would they give you? What label would they stick on you? What descriptor word would they give you? What kind of words do your actions speak? 
If they, somebody followed Jim around for a week, knowing nothing about me, what would they label me as? The early church got called Christians. That's pretty remarkable. They did business as they were called Christians. And the cool thing about this, so our main point was this. Our identity multiplies because our message unifies. Now here's the twist. This is the cool thing. This is the second layer to that main point. When our identity unifies, our message multiplies. I flipped it on you. But it's still true. And that's the second layer to this thing is that it is a never-ending cycle. And that's the beauty of it. Our identity multiplies when our message unifies. You got it? You with me? You sticking with me? Our message unifies. And because our message unifies, our identity can multiply. And then when our identity multiplies, it unifies us. And then our message multiplies. And when our message multiplies and unifies us, our identity multiplies. And this is the pattern for growth right here. Our message unifies and then our identity multiplies. And then it does it again. And then it does it again because it's a crazy, never-ending cycle. Two services is going to stretch us, multiply us. And we may feel at times a little bit crazy, a little bit like we're losing our identity. I want to encourage you today to hang on with us. Can I encourage you today with the fact that our true identity is found in sacrificing our individuality? in sacrificing our plans, our desires, whatever culture we've worked so hard to create. We have the opportunity to exchange our insecurity for identity. And it's found when we turn our desires and our pride over to God. It's found when we turn in our prominence in exchange for significance, just like Will says. And this is the question I want to leave you with today and we'll be done. What is your identity in? What's your identity in? We talked about hybrids. Silly. What about hairspray? (laughs) People find so much identity in their hair. The way their hair is cut, styled, colored. I'm talking to myself too. I'm the hairspray king. What do you find? People find their identity in the craziest things. It could be in the car they drive, the sports team they cheer for, the way they do their hair, the brand that they wear of clothes. People find labels wherever they turn. They, they want to find identity. They want to find something to get behind. They want to find something to say with the way they live their life. What, what's your identity in this morning? Is it in your career Is it in your husband or wife? Is it in your kids? That's a dangerous place for your identity to be. They're always sick. (laughs) Is your identity in the party you vote for? The message for today is that this is true. It's no longer red, yellow, black, or white. We're no longer rich, poor, middle class, 
We're no longer smart, dumb, average, slow. We're no longer attractive, ugly, tall, short, fat, skinny. We are sons and daughters. We're heirs together. We are the church. We are the bride of Christ. We are Christians. So don't let people redefine that word on you. Christians means followers of Christ. Literally, it means little Christ. If you take it back to the Greek and the time where they live in, they would put that suffix I-A-N-S on a lot of words, and it usually meant soldiers of. So if I served a certain centurion, if I was in this day and I worked under JC and I was a soldier under my centurion JC, I would have been called a JCian, a soldier of JC. So when we throw around this word Christian, it doesn't mean the mem- you're on the member roll somewhere. It doesn't mean you're born in America It doesn't mean that you're brought up with a certain code of ethics or morals. It means that you are literally a soldier of Christ. Your identity is found in Him. You are nothing without Him. So when we talk about multiply, as we end out this sermon series, and we're talking about whatever comes next, let's remember this. It's not about us. It's about who our identity is found in. Because the message will multiply on its own. It's not about decided church. It's not really about two services. It's about the message that we care. It's about that gospel message that reaches anybody. That message has the power to multiply on its own. We're just providing a bigger vehicle, a bigger capacity to get that message out. All we're doing is exchanging our weak little microphone for a bigger microphone. We're just getting a bigger microphone on March 3rd to share the gospel louder. So ask yourself, is it really worth hanging on to this dinky old microphone? That's what we're doing if we say that we're so fearful about two services. That's what we're doing if we say, I don't know, it's going to feel the same. I might not see Jana Moody anymore. Like, what if she serves this time and I don't see her and I don't run into her? You're literally looking at this piddly old microphone saying, I don't want the bigger microphone. We want to share the gospel. We have the message that God gave his life for in Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, if you'll go public with me, if you'll stand to your feet and say, I'm willing to sacrifice my identity in exchange for God's. I'll identify as a soldier of Christ. I'll get behind this message that unifies. I'm in it to win it. I'm here to multiply. And believe me, it makes me uncomfortable too. It makes me uncomfortable. I have fears and concerns about two services. Holy cow. But we're going to do it. We're going to get a bigger microphone. We're going to multiply this. And I can only do it with your help. I can only do it if you'll look me in the face and say, dude, it's not about, it's not about the label that we've created for Decided Church. It's not, about our, it's not about our culture. It's not about rubbing shoulders with Susie or John. It's about the message that can unify us and then multiply us and then unify us again and multiply us again. Let's do it. Let's do it. Why not? Why not us? So let's stand. Let's pray. Let's do it. God, we love you. Thank you so much 
for this vision, this dream that you've given us. Thank you for this time, this chance for real talk, just genuine heart talk this morning with my people, my family. And although I love them to death, and although I so cherish and value the culture that we've created here, I value the label, the brand, if you will, decided church. I know that you could do it again tomorrow with somebody else. So it's not that much to give up. It's really not. And I'm thankful for the precedent that we find in Scripture for Jews who are very proud, very proud of what they created, very proud of their message. They were, they were very proud of their Savior, the the, the one true Messiah that had come to redeem them. Yet in Acts 11, they said, you know what? It's okay if we lose ourselves. It's okay because we're turning in. We're turning in our little insecurities and we're going we're gonna to welcome the Gentiles. We're going to welcome another race, another culture in here because the Holy Spirit is on it. And who are we to stand in God's way? And the church multiplied. God, would you do that again? We don't want to stand in your way of what you're doing in Irmo. We don't want to stand in the way of what you're doing in South Carolina. We don't want to stand in the way of what you're doing in this nation, in this world. God, you're offering us a bigger microphone, and we're going to take it, and we're going to share your message, the only message that's really worth getting behind. The only label that's really worth falling under is the gospel Bigger than culture, bigger than political party, bigger than sports, bigger than entertainment, bigger than brand, bigger than anything. This message literally changes people's lives from the inside out. It changes people's everything. So we're asking if you will take Decided Church and multiply us. just like you did in Acts chapter 11. We look forward to how you're going to move and work and shake us this coming month into March. God, I pray that you would press upon my heart, what is it that I can do to be a soldier of Christ? What is it that I can do to step up a little bit? What is it that I can do to make the gospel go further, louder, and reach more people? What's my part to play in that? God, would you do that for every single soul here? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.